0: Welcome to more to come, P.W. Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Um, uh, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of publishing Weekly, <laughs> Editor of P.W. Comics World, and Editor of the Fanatic P.W.'s Twice a Month Comics and Pop Culture Newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Alright, more to come, listeners. Uh, look, I've been enthusiastic about a lot of books of the past, and this is another one, uh, I'm pumped up. Uh, I've got the author here, uh, I'm really excited to talk to him a little bit more, but it's uh, my pleasure to welcome, uh, Juni Ba to the podcast. He's the author of Julia, a new graphic novel, uh, and I should say Julia, a West African fantasy epic, uh, coming out in July from TKO uh, studios uh Junie, um, welcome uh to more to come
1: thanks thanks uh i'm i'm glad to be here i was i was uh excited for this one i guess
0: Oh, well, that's good. Well, believe me, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm probably excited enough, uh, for the both of us. Look, um, uh, I mean, I, I, I wanna, I wanna, uh, 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 know a little bit about your background, and then I really want us to, to talk about Julia, uh, obviously without giving spoilers. I mean, there's so much to talk about in this book, uh, but there's also some key plot points that I don't wanna spoil for anybody. But, um, I mean, I was really blown away by the book, your, the book, uh, I mean, your combination of of, of history, African culture, language uh with this uh you know uh, your 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 cartooning skills. Uh I mean it, it, using the African uh, past to build uh a complex mythological world, it's really exciting. Uh it's um, uh Wakanda in a more interesting, more exciting <laughs> uh dare i say more authentic uh certainly just uh, it it brings together so many things that we have been focused on um uh in an african viewpoint uh on the the world of mythology and fantasy and science fiction uh and you seem to really um have stepped it up to another level so I can talk forever, <laughs> but I'm going to now, we'll talk with you a little bit. So before we get into Julia, though, perhaps you could uh, tell our audience a little bit more about yourself. I mean, I know you were born in, in Senegal. Um, uh, I think you're living in France now. Yeah. So sure. Uh, fill us in a little bit about, I mean, who yeah. is Junibah? Uh,
1: oh boy. <laughs> um, it's it's funny because um, at the end of the book there's a picture of me
2: yes uh
1: when i was i must have been around five or six years old uh and i'm i'm standing on the couch uh dressed in in the classic boo-boo type uh garment you find in west africa and i'm holding a spider-man robot in my hands and <laughs> i'm like brand- brandishing above my head yes uh um and I feel like that's a pretty good representation of, of the upbringing that I received. Um, I I was born in the '90s and I grew up on TV and comics a lot, mm-hmm. um, while at the same time living in a West African nation that was, uh, I want to say, still learning how to how to walk. It's it's really the kind of of impression it gives me the whole. The African the African nations became independent in the sixties, and I, I, it sounds like it was a long time ago for some people. I wasn't even born then, and my dad was born the year the country got its independence. Mm-hmm. But it still feels like at, at the scale of an entire country. I
0: remember it. I'm 69, so I know. Oh <laughs> yeah, I know. I I say that about myself too. But but yeah. yes, I remember the sixties, and I remember the wave of, of of African nations coming out of colonialism. I mean, in some cases into neocolonialism, but also, yeah. but, uh, but announcing their independence, uh, uh, resting their in- independence from the European powers.
1: Yeah. And, and I was, so essentially I was, I was born in a country that was a baby still mm-hmm. learning, learning mm-hmm. how to function, which means that when it comes to media, a lot of stuff wasn't yet made. Like mm-hmm. today, Senegal has many different TV channels, their own series uh, which are very popular in the in the diaspora that speaks French at least.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, uh,
1: and, and and but at the time when I was born, there was very little on TV yet, so a lot of the media that I was consuming was from the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, you have your local stories and books. And 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 I was lucky to be born in a in a, in a family that has. Um, that, that, that is very knowledgeable and very interested in both history and, and, and stories. But yeah, I grew up in, in a West, West African nation watching Xena Warrior Princess and the Gargoyles <laughs> and, and Batman, Batman the animated series. And then I moved to, um, manga and, and Cartoon Network. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, so it's okay. kind of like, I grew up very conscious of the fact that I was growing up in a country where I was observing what was around me while at the same time consuming a media that's, that sort of is very interesting and it was made from perspectives that were not my own.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and that never stopped it from being relatable to me. Mm. When, when did comics enter your your your, uh, your vision,
0: your universe. Uh, you very, know.
1: very early on. Mm-hmm. The, the, oldest, the oldest book that I have is a Belgian comic that I had so young that I don't even remember who gave it to me. Uh, okay. I, I grew up on books. And, mm-hmm. and the same way that my dad had French comics and American comics when he was a kid. Mm. Uh, and my aunt told me about how she was reading Thor and Silver Surfer when she was growing up in Dakar.
2: Interesting. Which is,
1: which, yeah, which is even weird to me because that was the 60s or 70s. She was a child. And she was reading those books that me growing up in Senegal in the 90s and in 2000s, I didn't have access to those books. American comics have actually become way more difficult to get in Senegal than than they were when she was a child, which is very strange to me. Hmm. And, and, I mean, I blame the whole thing of, like, I have a whole issue with the, the, the distribution of, of floppies now, but... Uh-huh. That's another problem. Um, but yeah, the, the the comics arrived in my life very, very early on. I basically always had them. Um, I grew up mostly reading French stuff um, and Japanese stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. A lot of
1: French uh, and a little bit of American ones, like Batman comics, that I would get my hands on. Uh And then the teenagers arrive and you get the internet and... You start discovering all this fear of stuff made in in Japan, which is always way more interesting, looks way cooler and way more new I guess than what mm-hmm. you could get your hands on like to a teenage mind, comparing the, the books made in France and Belgium to the Japanese stuff, the Japanese stuff always was way better, way more interesting, <laughs> way more actiony, and 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 also and a you know, different it, kind of storytelling as well. Exactly,
0: the very nature yeah. and pacing uh of the storytelling exactly, yeah. is very different.
1: Mm. And, and, and 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 most of what I think for me, they were going into places where they were talking about certain things that. Um, more, more Western books would tend to always be geared towards children or adults. And when it was for teenagers, they would sort of always talk about the same things, but there were loads and loads of subjects that they would not approach with the same level of, of interest or nuance or, I guess, relatability as as some of the manga books that I was reading mm-hmm. that were made for teenagers, but were talking about very complicated things. And then... I mean, you're a metal alchemist and you have both the whole growing up thing of coming of age of a teenager while at the same time talking about genocide and war mm-hmm. and fascism. And, and I remember Shaman King because the main character was basically who I wanted to be in terms of taming your own inner demons and reaching a level of inner peace that you can be a sort of force for good around the people you love. Mm-hmm. And, and I did not find that anywhere in the, the western sphere of what I had available to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, when I was 17, I think, uh, I discovered that the movie Hellboy was based on a comic book. Aha! <laughs> and, and I, again, the whole thing of being in, in, in a western African country where you have access to little, few, few things compared to the west and, so I had to import the book. I asked, like to give you an idea of how complicated it was,
2: mm-hmm.
1: either I had to wait for the summer to, to go to France to buy all the books that I had decided to buy. So I had my full list of all the books that I wanted. I
2: love it. <laughs> or
1: I would have to ask someone to buy it and then find some convoluted way. Like, do we have a family member who's coming mm-hmm. back? Can we send it? Can we send it to them so they can bring it with them? And I was lucky enough that my stepmom was working for the, the European Union and um, she could get it to us if a family member bought it. She asked her, her father, who is very Christian, very proper man, who survives World War II. So naturally, considering the fact that his own house was used by Nazis during the war, wow. uh, you can imagine his reaction as a Christian man who was uh, violent, violently treated by Nazis. You can imagine his reaction when he looked at the cover of the first volume of Hellboy.
2: And there was,
1: <laughs> there was literally a demon and swastika on the Demons on the cover, and nut cause like, yeah,
0: it's so like <laughs> probably a little too
1: real for him. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: exactly. So he said no. So he had to. Oh wow. He, <laughs> he, it, yeah, like, I mean, you, you can't, you can't expect an old man who is very stubborn and has very legitimate reasons to not want to, touch, to even touch something like this. You can't expect him to like, Sure. Say no to his values essentially just because you, the punk teenager, want to read a book about a demon. <laughs> uh, but I did get the book and that was sort of my gateway into the more American side of things where I was like, there's a whole pantheon of stuff that I never really looked at beyond the superheroes. Mm-hmm. And I started, I mean, I got into Marvel at first, uh, a lot of Marvel, but, but I started reading more and more indie stuff and, and I, I learned mean, I... English.
2: So
0: I, I am, mean, I am very interested in, I mean, um, uh, you know, m- my own development, you know, obviously, I mean, as, as most Americans do of a certain age anyway, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> superheroes are our introduction to the world of comics until very recently. I mean, I think this is what's really exciting that your book is coming at this time. Uh, until really the last 10, 15 years or so, book format comics, book length narrative comics, uh, were an outlier. Um, mm. they were a head scratcher, uh, as we say here. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, um, it, you know, it started to change uh, around, uh, in the 1980s, really, I would say, uh, and obviously Art Spiegelman had some stuff to do with it. And then the whole independent American publishing side of it from publishers like Fantagraphics and the like change. Yeah. But we're in a moment now where this is not, also, and moved beyond one genre, uh, the superhero com, uh, genre, which yeah. dominated everything and still does, but not like it, to be. Anyway, that, that's just, uh, but I, I am curious about your cartooning skills as well, as well as yeah. when indie comics, uh, uh, you know, really, uh, came into your vision. Are, are you self-taught? Did you go to a school? Um, I mean, your drawing is really just off the charts. It's really completely yes. enveloping. It really is.
1: Um, it's kind of both. I did go to school. It was more of a honing the craft, I guess. Because mm-hmm. um, a, a lot of it was just watching TV and looking at comics and trying to figure out one, mm-hmm. how do they represent reality, and two, why do I respond to certain styles of drawings more than others? Mm-hmm. Because we all have different tastes. So some people like realistic, some people like cartoony. I just have, just happen to have a particular taste for one type of stuff. Um, so a lot of it was learning how others do it. Um, which is why you can sense a lot of Hellboy influence in the way I draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I, I read Hellboy and looked at the covers and at the pages so many times that you, you learn to like, you, you take a drawing and you redo it just to understand the shapes and how they function, the light, the lighting and everything. um, and the school I went to is a small school in, in Montpellier, the French city I'm in. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was perfect because I... Originally, I didn't go to a very big school because I was kind of anxious about it. But I realized also that it was way more beneficial for me. And this is this is like assuming there's a young person listening to this. It turns out that the small school... While it doesn't have the prestige of the big ones, mm-hmm. it does allow an environment in which the teachers can pay attention to you way more and sort of a chill pace i guess mm-hmm. you you can you can and a, a, an advice that was given to me by a family member before I left the country was that the school is going to give you maybe thirty twenty percent of the of the work you need to do
2: mm-hmm. The
1: rest you have to do by yourself you have to do your own research, you have to look at the work of other people you have to essentially train yourself. The school is there to help you figure out if your training is paying off. And that's how I approached it. I didn't, I never expected the school to tell me how to do things. I decided this is what I want to do and this is what I want to learn. And then I go to school and I show it to my teachers and they tell me, okay, I think this is working. I don't think this is working. And it evolved that way. They were very um, encouraging in terms of telling me, yes, comics is something that you should be doing. Um, like I, I even remember the day I I went to the school for the first time and gave them my, my portfolio for them to review, uh, mm-hmm. which was still like, are you going to get, take me into the program essentially? And I I still remember the two teachers looking at the pages and like flipping through them really quickly. Like I, I wasn't even sure they were actually looking at it. <laughs> and at one point, one of the teachers asked, was there any graphic design? Cause it was a program with a lot of different things. One of them said, was there like a design anywhere? And the author teacher's, teacher said, yeah, but it wasn't very... uh and I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> so, but, but years after, they have given me loads of uh, advice and encouragement in the, in the areas where they think I have skill. I have, skill. Uh, I have mm-hmm. been stubborn enough that when they told me, I don't think this is for you, I still pushed th- through because I wanted, like coloring, for example. Mm-hmm. When I was in school, I was really bad at it. And they told me, you should just give up. Uh, you can always have, you can always have a colorist do it for you. And I just didn't want to because, because in my mind, I wanted colors to be a specific way.
0: Well, the colors are certainly powerful, uh, (laughs) as well. Um, I, I, I I want us to get into, uh, Julie a little bit and then, but, but I may, I, I may return to this if we get time. Um, oh, yeah. Well, just one quick question, um, because actually, uh, I mean, you kind of take us through a journey through, through um, uh, the various uh, African languages, phrases. Um, I mean, I think languages is, is also uh, like a fascinating part. Even the way you use your translations in the book, I think are, <laughs> are like uh, in just really delightful and add to the story. Uh, uh, I mean, very early in the book, you actually even talk about the symbols in there, and you re- you immediately tell people this isn't what you think it is. <laughs> and yeah. I just thought that was a, just a great mark. But but uh, did you grow up speaking English? Did you grow up speaking French? Uh, what? Um,
1: so I grew all of the America above, has, uh, <laughs> more or less. Yes. <laughs> um, basically, French is my fluent language. It uh, is the first one that I learned. But I grew up in a country with many different African languages. Mm-hmm. I know a little bit of Wolof, which is the language mm-hmm. that I use in the book. Mm-hmm. But I don't speak it fluently. So I would go back to my dad, ask questions about, do you yeah. think this word works? This that, sure. this sentence makes sense? Um, so, yeah, I grew up with French as my fluent language and Wolof as a sort of, like, language to get by in the city.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, and then English, uh, I was really bad at it until I was... 14 when I had to retake a year because I had a very abysmal mm-hmm. year. And I spent the summer with my grandmother, who was an English teacher,
2: mm-hmm. the
1: first of the country, apparently. And she, she gave me all the tools necessary, not just to learn English, but to sort of get back on my feet again because I had a very complicated year and teenage years can be very complicated, especially with some (laughs) difficult, difficult past experiences I've had at the time. And and so learning English was also a way for for her to like give me back some, some discipline. Mm -hmm. And so she gave me basis so good that when I showed up at the next year with the same English teacher as the year before, she even called my dad saying, what the hell
2: happened? <laughs> He's so good now. <laughs> well, so I well.
1: Owe it, I owe it to my grandmother. Like, and then, you know, you have the basis, so you start mm-hmm. learning, you yeah. start watching movies and TV shows. And Cause you're reading and all these comics in English, these American comics. Yeah. I mean, you're reading them in yeah, English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really started doing that around when I was 17 or mm-hmm. 18. Really started reading in English way more, uh, communicating with people on the internet in English. So and, I'm gonna, uh,
0: yeah. I'm gonna jump in here because I, I really want us to get into the book. Okay, now, in my little thing, I, 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 I describe Julia as, <clears throat> well first off, I said it was a dazzling display of contemporary African cartooning. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just want, I'll get that right up. I also, I, I invoke, uh, uh, you know, a term that's in much disgust in the West now. Afri- I, I call it African Futurism. Uh, yeah. as opposed to Afrofuturism, I, i taking a cue from the Nigerian-American novelist, uh, Nedia who kind of has focused it more and called her work African Futurism. But I saw, called it, uh, Julia is a story of two humbled royal elites, elites, excuse me, on a desperate mission to restore their, their kingdom, uh, destroyed by a, 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 you know, a mysterious wizard in a tower. And I also called the book irresistibly complex and funny. <laughs> So that I just wanted to to let you know that this is how, what what I put out there. Now, I would love to hear you uh, uh, tell our listeners can, can you uh, give them a little bit of what is the story of uh, Julia?
2: Um
1: so usually I simplified saying it's a fantasy book based on African folklore about um two members of the royal elite like you said hmm. um, who Live in a world where the kingdom that they had which was fabled as the first place I, you know, best ex- place I on have Earth. to
0: excuse you. Someone is booming a boom box oh. right outside my window. I live on the lower <laughs> east side. I'm gonna ask you to pause for just a second. I gotta close the yes. windows. Because someone is cranking up the volume. It's all fun until you're trying to record a podcast. <laughs> Hold on just a second. I, I live on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and uh you know the weather's nice. The,
1: <laughs> the I didn't know boomboxes was still
2: a thing. I,
0: well, I, you know what? It it, you know what? It's probably a car with some speakers like jacked up in the back of the trunk. Uh, it's a whole a whole lifestyle thing, but yeah. uh, they're they're cranking it up. They they clearly don't care that I'm doing an interview here. So anyway. <laughs> So yes, you're you're telling us the story of these of these two humbled yeah. royal uh, elites.
1: So the the a fantasy book about mm-hmm. uh, a, a fantasy book based on West African folklore about two royals whose who grew up in a country where they were told that it was the best place on earth uh The very mm-hmm. idea of, of the very um wealthy and and safe and grandiose african kingdom kind of vibe, and now they live in a in a, in a world where a wizard has showed up and literally broke the earth into pieces and they don 't have the grand uh kingdom they had before and so the two the two main characters are a prince manso who's has, who has the pressure of, am I going to be able to rebuild the kingdom I had and be as great as my father, the king, who everyone says was the best guy ever. And uh Awa, who's his uh, dearly, so counselor and storyteller, who knows the history by heart and very much um, believes in this notion of the past was the best place. Mm. You have to go back to how it was before. And as they go through the adventure, going uh, into uh, fighting talking animals and giant robots and all that kind of
2: stuff, <laughs>
1: they, they, they're on a journey to that very wizard who destroyed their world, both to ask him why he did it, and as they journey, they learn the nuances of the world they're in, and how the narrative that they were told wasn't necessarily all very true, and... It's essentially the story of a storyteller who learns the power of stories and how you can shape both the people's opinions, but, but an entire nation's identity through stories mm. and through lies and, or, or half truth.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. That's what, um, uh, and now these two elites, they find themselves in a very different state. Um, they're, uh, they're kind of in a post-apocalyptic landscape. Um, um, uh, uh, and they encounter other, uh, um, uh, other characters as well. Uh, the wizard's assistants, uh, Oriando. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little more about him? I mean, you're doing a good job of laying it out without giving any spoilers away. So I think that's, <laughs> you, you, you're good at this.
1: Um, His Oriundo was born of the fact that I needed a character who can guide the the, the two main characters through the tower, Um, but also someone who they can talk to about what the world is like outside. Mm -hmm. What what was interesting for me is that I wanted Oriundo to be a sort of sheltered, very soft, very warm kind of character. Mm -hmm. Uh, He serves a very utilitarian purpose in the book, But he is, I think, he conveys enough niceness and sort of naivete that the characters can then tell him about all the stuff that's happened outside the tower and the consequences of what his master did. And essentially, he's this little creature who takes care of the tower like a janitor or or a superintendent for a master who has completely disappeared and hasn't talked to anyone in in decades, including to him. Hmm. And, and I really wanted to have this character who lives sheltered and isn't aware that the tower he lives in has created a world where there are child soldiers and abuse everywhere and, and inequalities and war and, and it's all because of the place he lives in and he has absolutely no, no knowledge of it, but that also means that he approaches it with Less of a baggage, emotionally speaking. He isn't scarred like the other characters
0: are. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I'd love to go back to, uh, uh, the, the jelly. Um, yes. Ewa, uh, Kuyate, am I saying her her name properly?
1: Uh, Awa Kuyate,
0: yeah. Um, uh, now, uh, while, uh, Mansour is, you know, he's the prince, I mean, he's the, uh, is you know, he would in most instances be uh obviously the center of the story. But in many ways the focus yes. is on Iowa. Are there any reasons beyond uh a spoiler or less than a spoiler that you um, talk about her being a woman? I'm
1: gonna, yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try to explain it without spoilers. Um essentially the the, the big narrative we have in the real world I mean around Africa is very centered around kings and queens, Mm -hmm. which is for all the obvious reasons. And, and, uh, but it, it comes from a place of wanting to reestablish the place of Africa in real history, uh, and also reestablish a certain sense of, of, of pride and, and grandiosity to, to the African, uh, people and, and the, 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 the diaspora, and the The trap, I feel, in that dynamic is that in doing so, we tend to focus so much so much on the elites, on the kings and the queens that we tend to like you, you will find people who are very happy to tell you about the story of a king or, or, or queen of the richest person in Africa mm-hmm. and all that stuff, or the richest person in the world. But there are no, there is very little interest in the little people of of that era. And so I thought, um, I wanted to do a story about a prince who is treated like he's not up to the level of that sort of grandiosity that that, that is expected of those mm-hmm. kings and queens. Mm-hmm. He isn't able to live up to it uh because he's very insecure and scared and, and still dealing with the pain of losing his kingdom when he was a child. And then the deity shows up because... I found the figure, the real life figure, very interesting. The idea of a person who has a memory so vast and so large that they can remember word for word entire historical events and fictional stories and lessons to, to use to teach people how to behave and how to organize society. Someone like that, if they were indoctrinated into an idea that the country is the greatest and, and, mm-hmm. it, like, that would be a very powerful tool, like in terms of how to control people. <laughs> and so, how I became the main character main character because because that's where the story was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and it, it, it was a very organic way. Uh, I started off with The Prince and then I realized, actually, I want to do a story about normal people. And and I want to, I want to do a story about the effects of how the elite make a, a narrative and how it affects us. So how best to convey that story than through the person whose job it is to make the narrative. Mm-hmm. And how she's supposed to observe the world around her and realize that the narrative she was given needs some readjustments. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, so which it
0: which question? it gets as we move through the story. Now, are yeah. jelly jelly t- temp, uh, typically women? No,
1: that's the thing. That's another thing mm-hmm. I broke a rule. Uh it's usually men, even mm-hmm. jelly exist, but they don't have the same responsibilities and
2: mm-hmm. and
1: they are expected to perform certain different things. It's usually men, it's supposed to be men uh father to son. So you can't become one, you have to be born one and learn from your father. Um and yeah, to the level where when I told my family about the story I was doing, uh, I showed the the sketch of Awa to an uncle, and he was like, "That's a woman." <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you know, you, you know, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the whole I, point. Thinking, that's the you know, whole point, Dad. <laughs> exactly. Like that, that's that's how I that's sort of how I reacted because a lot of the stories that I was pulling from the folk tales and everything, the main characters who were who were doing all the most the more interesting stuff were always men. And I, I didn't. Not that I wanted to approach the story being like uh, I want to give a feminist twist or anything like that. I I just thought, how about having a girl? Because mm-hmm. why not? And 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 the fact that she's not supposed to have this job, even in some ways, adds to the story. I think because she is an outlier in many ways, including the fact that she's not supposed to have the job that she is occupying.
0: Yes, and 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 she is a power. Behind the man that we might presume to be the, the central figure. And of course, and of course, Manser is a central figure, but, uh, their interaction, uh, how they function and how A.W.A. functions, um, is just very illuminating. It's very satisfying. Uh, (laughs) I think it's very visionary as well. Um, uh, um, as we enter the story, we also find that, um the role of the, the jelly has changed, uh, yeah. in contemporary societies. Without kings and queens, uh, they seem to be almost like, I mean, troubadours or traveling hip hop performers. <laughs> and, and I have to say, you have, and, and I want to talk about this, uh, without me gabbing too much, is that you bring together so many, uh, you know, so many influences uh both um traditional african from the you know the adinkra symbols but i mean even your dialogue to me seems incredibly hip and attuned to to american uh yeah. uh phrasing uh but yeah. but hip hop and, and and pop culture are are global cultures uh, so yeah. i assume this is the part of the ether that you breathe uh that we all the pop culture ether that we all breathe
2: yeah,
1: um, my dad made me made me grow up on Spike Lee movies. Uh-huh. <laughs> I I mean I like today I was I mean I don't know if that I don't know if you remember that movie or if you've seen it. The movie you got you you got served. Oh yes,
0: a, I know I know of yeah. it. I didn't see it, but I know the movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: like it was one of those movies that my uncle brought back a DVD of it, and my brother watched it so many times. Mm-hmm uh I used to watch TV and you know you would have video clips of of uh, the usual hip hop and and rap and all kinds of stuff on TV so I I like even as I'm saying this the image I have is the little room at, on on the second level of my grandparents house me on on the mat on the floor watching beyonce
2: uh-huh.
1: sure. but, like watching watching crazy in love i think the clip was yeah uh, yeah, so I, I grew up with all that influence and then I learned English and I started to understand all the different nuances of how the language is used, which is not to say that I could blend into a, a, a black American neighborhood and, and pass for an American, that's not what I'm saying, but but yeah, the influence was definitely there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, I've got a whole bunch of stuff here.
0: Uh... Oh. So, let me see where we are now. well you know what I'd love to uh, uh ask you about your you know comics you know maybe comics influence. You know, are, are there influences in the work that you would point to uh I mean I think at a certain point uh, I mean, I think in my little intro I wrote, for want of a better description, I mentioned something about, you know, Mad Magazine or Evan Dorkin, but I think I probably missed some references, probably like uh, 2000 AD or something like that. Maybe Take Girl. Um, I don't know. Could you, are, are, uh, am I am I way off base? What could you give us uh, in terms of insights into maybe some of the influences that are showing up, uh, or I seem to, to,
1: to feel in the work? Uh, it, It's funny because every name you mention is an an influence per se. Like I know of it, but mm-hmm. I've never been into it. Right sure, there.
0: okay, that absolutely uh, that's fine. <coughs> um, that's that's no, on but, me. I'm just grabbing <laughs> stuff out of the air. that Oh, it seems like this or it seems like that. You're like okay, Tangirl Girl is an influence. That's true. I, I
1: didn't hear Jamie Hewlett. Who? Tank uh, t- Girl is an influence. Oh, Tank Girl.
0: Sure. Yes. Yes. So yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. that's uh, Jamie, Jamie Hewlett. Hullet. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Jamie Hewlett as a whole. Like, uh, Gorillaz was a big, uh, uh-huh, sure. turn, turn for me. Uh, but yeah, the, the the big influences for this one would be Hellboy is an obvious one. Mm-hmm. Um, Samurai Jack, it's not a comic. Uh-huh. But, mm-hmm. sure, uh, oh, sure,
0: sure. The anime?
1: Yeah.
0: Or then, the animation? Uh, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and on the side of comics, there is a lot of Franco-Balgian influence. Uh, mm-hmm. a lot of watching how Creators of the seventies, especially, would, would do very cartoony things. Um, it's a it's a huge mix of many many different things. Um, Chris Samney is a big influence. Mm-hmm. Ronald Wimberley as well. Uh, oh yes, Ronald
0: Wimberley Ron sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I told him he was very much responsible for this book. Oh, that's, um, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh like he was, he was one of the people who encouraged me to keep going at it, which mm-hmm. was really nice. Um yeah, so so th- those inf- those would be the influences, but then you also have loads of cartoons and movies. Uh it's kind of difficult to to really pinpoint everything because it's a huge mix of so many different things that I just decided like the middle chapter of the book is a is a re retake on the concept from the Twilight Zone. That I just, I just picked my favorite episode of The Twilight Zone. I mixed it with, uh, the way comedy comics in France and Belgium do things. And, and I mixed the two and I just, that, that was the chapter that came out.
0: Which, which section is this? Is this the monsters? Uh, the middle one.
1: The middle one in black and white.
0: Oh yes, yeah, that's monsters of, uh, what is it? Gil Tape? Yeah. Um, I don't I, 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 did I pronounce that even remotely close <laughs> uh, to?
1: It- it's pronounced
0: Goltape, yeah. Goltape, okay, yes. Well, that, I was very fascinated about that because that also brought to mind all kinds of wacky humor comics. Because in yes. this section, actually tell us about it, because we learn about, uh, all of, uh, you know, uh, a, a, different characters in the town. Yeah.
1: And their concerns
0: um. and their failings, their character or lack of say.
1: So, as I was working on the book, I started to realize everything I said about wanting to make a story about the little people and the Mm effect of the elites, and the fact that the elites shouldn't be the the sole focus of how we approach stories and history, Uh, as I was making the book, I started to realize that I I hadn't actually spent that much time showing the actual normal people doing anything. Mm. Um, And especially for the book to work, for the ending to work, I needed to show that it has an effect, that the tower, when it appears somewhere, because of the mistake of, of the wizard, it has to mean something, and you have to see what it does, not just hear about it from, from the, the prince. Um, so when I started thinking about it, I pulled naturally from the people that I knew, and it's sort of a compilation of all kinds of different funny things that I saw or read about in Senegal when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So every one of the characters is based on someone that I know or that I heard of or a dynamic that still is very universal. Like the grumpy old man is very much my grandfather, <laughs> uh, which I shouldn't have said because considering what he does in the book, like they're going to think that my grandfather does the same thing. I just, I just picked the concept of the grumpy old man. Sure. The rest <laughs> okay. <is my> granddad. <laughs> Uh, oh, the, the 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 rich guy who's married to to a young, uh, yes. mm-hmm. a very sexy girl who's clearly interested in it for the money, um, like different things like that, and and but done in a way that felt true to my experience living in Senegal and seeing those people. Essentially, the, the Senegalese flavor of, a, of very universal archetypes. Mm-hmm.
0: And this is, I mean, yeah. this is a very funny, I mean, there's humor throughout the book, but this is, you really, you're pulling out all the stops. You really, uh, <laughs> it's, you're limp, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you, you, you have sympathy for these characters, but, you, but they're very funny. Uh, the the rhino and the rabbit?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, the hippo, is that a hippo or, uh, yes. It's a hippo, yeah. The hippo and the rabbit, Um. Uh. It, they give us some insight into the comic personalities of uh, yeah. the people uh suffering in the aftermath of of <laughs> of of, of, the, of the the wizard and the tower uh i'm curious where where did the concept of this tower come from is this taken from african folklore too i mean so much of the book seems to be your reimagining
2: yeah
1: um it's sort of me misremembering something from <laughs> the, the the epic of sunjata keita Oh, yes. Talk about uh, that
0: a little bit, would you? Because this is like a great... Uh, 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 this is actual history. Uh Yeah, uh, yeah, indeed. Uh,
1: so, the epic of Sundiata Keita is a half-fictional um, um, telling of how the uh, Mali Empire was created
2: mm-hmm.
1: in 11-something... 1100-something. Uh, and essentially, it's a very long story about how a, a, a prince unified an entire region and created an empire that became the most uh, rich empire of the world at the time. And the story of Sundiata Keita is very filled with like loads of magic and walls and like loads of battles and stuff. And the tower came from the fact that in the story, Sundiata has to fight uh, the king Sumauro Kante who in the story is told to be some kind of wizard who mm-hmm. makes puppets out of human skin and, uh I mean, all kinds of gruesome things. Yeah. And he has uh, hundreds of wives and lives in his castle. And so I basically just took that character of Sumaro Kante and reimagined him into a more cartoony version, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I misremembered that he had a tower. Ah. Where he had all his secret <laughs> stuff. <laughs> And so in my mind, I started imagining, what if I just took the tower and made it like, I think Samurai Jack also had an influence in this because Akron, Uh the villain, had a giant tower he was in and the tower just appeared in different places. And I thought, you know what, that's pretty cool.
0: Like
1: What if he had had a a magical tower filled with all kinds of objects, um, uh, wizardry, all kinds of machines, and and he kept that from the world and selfishly... uh, kept it from everyone and became completely silent after destroying the world. And he just lives there now and no one even really knows what he looks like. So this mistake builds of people are afraid, but they don't even know what they're afraid of at this point because Mm -hmm. no one has seen him anymore. No one knows what he looks Mm -hmm. like. No one knows what he's actually capable of. And so the tower became this really creepy thing that can literally just show up in your neighborhood without warning. And you, you have to ask yourself, did I do anything? Is the cannibal just going to come down and try to mm-hmm. eat me? Hence the concept of the story of like this element just showed up. Now, how do the very normal people with, every, with very normal lives deal with this supernatural, very scary thing that they've been told is super scary? How do they deal with it? Hmm.
0: I mean, I, I admit, I, I, you know, uh, uh and uh, I, um, just a little of my background. You know, I went to Howard University. <clears throat> um, I, I, I learned, uh, bits and pieces. I don't want to present myself as any sort of expert on African <laughs> mythology, language, or, or anything other than, you know, my own, uh, uh, interest as, as, a, as a, a Black American. Uh, uh, but, uh, I've encountered so many elements of your story, Um uh, uh, in my own development over the years, in my own education, and um, it's just—it it was just really exciting to see you putting the story together. As we look at films like *The Black Panther* and how it's um, really just. Uh, or even, you know, the uh, films of other directors, but how, but in some ways that, because it sort of brought together and brought this incredible vision, even though this character obviously was re- was created by a couple of white dudes many years ago when I was, you <laughs> know, because I'm old enough when I remember when I first saw the Black Panther and I was oh blown God. away to see a black yeah, character that. by Jack Kirby, who I was obsessed with.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and, um, uh, but you, you bring all these elements together in such a fresh way um uh, 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 y- yes i I've already said that, but I can <laughs> keep returning to it um i, I want to mention I think I did a little bit the the way you bring in language throughout the book, I really think it, and your your way of of You know, you communicate with the audience in a way that it's just very fresh. I know there's nothing unusual to put a translation at the bottom of a panel, <laughs> but your way of doing it, really, you've got your own style to it. And it, it, it works in the flow of the narrative, I think, in a way that I haven't really seen too many cartoonists do before. Mm-hmm. But look, let me ask you, how did you connect get connected with uh, TKO? They're a very new publisher. Uh, yeah. They've got a real fresh take on genre comics and storytelling, uh, a, a very unusual business model. And um, did you try to be published elsewhere, Ferg? You, yes, did, were French publishers interested? What's the uh, what's the story well, behind we, that?
1: Um, basically, when I was in my last, like, I I, I almost want to say was a last ditch effort.
2: Oh, uh, really? <laughs>
1: to contact TKO, um, mostly because. I want to give context to this. Um, When I was in my last year of art school, I was told uh, that fantasy, West African stuff you want to do, we don't really understand how it works, and we were not sure that publishers are going to want to to take a risk on it. Sure. Uh, To the point where they they even tried to discourage me from doing it.
2: Hmm. So
1: I graduated. I did it anyway.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, Hmm. I had to do a completely different other project which was way more in line with their idea of publications Mm -hmm. Uh, and was about the Bible with very usual uh, French type things. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, So I had to do that so that they would let me do some West African stories that I wanted to do and i got sort of galvanized again during the jury because the jury said those west african stories are really interesting uh you should continue and what what sort of reassured me was that the younger the the, the, the people were the more they they understood it mm-hmm. the, the, the more they were interested in it and the older they were the more they were bothered both by not understanding the fantasy style or or even the narrative style uh I had a very old very old veteran of French comics who told me that this is not how you make a page to which I said I literally just took this from Hellboy so I don't know what to tell you <laughs>
0: yes yeah, so you I, know it's, <laughs> it, it's worked before
1: yeah yes yes so I graduated uh and went to the internet to try to figure out I started working with the Kugali group who is from Nigeria, mm-hmm. uh, who published a bunch of my o- early stories as I was working on Jelia. Mm-hmm. And then um now to understand, I had been warned that the French system would find it difficult to understand what I was doing.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh
1: but it did take me something like two or three years to find uh, to finally say okay this is enough hmm. i tried multiple publishers there was one who even approached me because he was interested the problem was that uh it became very clear very quickly that he was he wasn't a bad person by any means but i mean the classic case of a white person who has trouble understanding the experience of a black person in the mm-hmm. west and is very, is very uncomfortable around certain subjects. And even though the book doesn't talk about racism at all, there is literally no racism in this book, mm-hmm. no talk of racism. It was still a part of my experience. Mm-hmm. And he would tend to try and have the discussions with me and he created a very difficult environment. Mm-hmm. So I left. Mm-hmm. Every other publisher I approached, the reaction was, it is, this is really nice, but we don't really know how it works, what it is, who to sell this to. Um which has always bothered me because it's sort of the assumption that they think that only black people will want to read it it's and that it. their black readership mm-hmm. isn't big mm-hmm. enough. And two, they assume that the white readership they have is not interested in seeing the stuff that I'm doing, which is very insulting. And bizarre um,
0: considering how yeah. popular black creations are globally in almost every field. Yeah. But anyway, believe me, it, it <laughs> happens here as well. But go on. <laughs> yeah, I get,
1: I get that. And the paradox in France is that they love Black American stuff, but Black African stuff, they don't. Interesting. They, they, they don't put it on the same pedestal. Um, so yeah. So eventually, my my family had told me multiple times, you should go to America hmm. because they have, they are way more interested in this type of stuff. They are more open minded in new things, and. Um, they, they have a knife of business, I guess. And, and I was lucky enough that I showed up at a time where the world was interested in this type of stuff now. Yes. And so I shot an email to TKO saying, I have this book project. Do you want to, do you want to look at it? I received a message from Sebastian Gerner, the, the mm-hmm. editor in chief telling me, we don't usually take, uh, submissions, but I have seen your work floating around the internet. I want to see what you have to, to, to propose. Mm. And so I sent a pitch that I literally translated from French to English in one night. So there were titles <laughs> everywhere. Uh, I sent that and they said yes. And we started working on it. And it was, ask, was great.
0: Was the book complete at that time or how much was, um, how much was so, done? Yeah before or after or what, you know.
1: The story was pretty much done and I had something like 50% of the book already sketched. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want to do anything final until I put it in front of an editor who could tell me what worked and what didn't because mm-hmm. I, I don't like redoing things.
0: Yes, guess. Uh, <laughs> no small thing in <laughs> comics. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. And, and the experience was great. The, the, um, the good thing, like one of the things I was wary about, especially because of past experiences, was having... Having a white editor on on something like this because I was afraid he would miss stuff or make me want, make me try to explain things that were due to cultural differences. But if you explain them, you kind of lose the mistake of it or or the interest. And I was very lucky because Sebastian never, never asked me to do any of that. I think the only time he voiced concern over something was when I used uh, pidgin English in Mm. two pages. And he said, "I don't, I don't know if." And I, I, he said, "I'm worried someone above him would have a problem with it." And I was it. And I just told him why it was important to keep to keep it that way because sure. it was important to one particular region of Africa, and this is how they speak, and you have to respect it. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Yes, that's that that's uh, perfectly understandable." And I didn't even give him those arguments for him to understand. I gave it to him so that he could explain it
2: to the, to the people. Yeah.
1: In case, and it never happened. No one ever had a problem with it.
2: Hmm.
1: And I approached TKO, just like you said, it's a young company, and I figured, I tried the companies that already have strong legs and existed, and, and have existed for quite some time, and they tend to be set in their ways. So how yes. about going to a company that literally just arrived and whose entire idea is we want to do things differently?
0: Yeah. I think you' made a great choice uh they're a fresh company and they and they're they're open and really he, 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 this book arrives at a really critical time uh I just think in American popular culture world popular culture really uh particularly in this country where book format comics uh they're exploding now, but this is a fairly recent event i mean the periodical comic the floppy uh you know cuz it had kind of been the back backbone of american uh, storytelling for you know 80 or 90 years uh yeah. the the book format really since about really the late 80s or maybe the mid 1990s really uh my ma- and, and and indeed manga had had a lot to do with opening up the american market to book format comics at all because it were so yeah. was so popular among american mm-hmm. girls and teenagers, uh, but look, we're getting we're, we're we're running out of time. I just wanna I, I just wanna comment on a couple things or ask you about a couple things. Um, uh, what's the two fingers one closed What uh, I, uh, I I'm not gonna go into why this is because I don't want to give anything. But there there is this uh, symbol at the book at a point in the book where uh, this symbol is used, and I, I didn't quite get it, and I was curious and.
2: Yeah, oh. I just need
0: to represent a choice being offered.
1: Um yeah, uh,
2: Is that
0: does that too it, much of a spoiler to to go into it? Don't I'm don't go into wide. I I'm bringing it up. Yeah. I just want to know what it means.
1: Um, yeah, it, it's literally just open and close. Yeah. Uh, I needed a visual way to do it and I figured the whole just having fingers open and close was a good way to represent the the the, the thing that was being talked about. Uh it has absolutely no significance or it's not a reference to anything. Okay. <laughs> I just literally just needed a visual way. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I thought it was a sort of yes no um uh, Yeah it, it's indicator. It's basically
1: that it's it's what the person chooses to do in that situation. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I just needed a visual way to do it because because that's what felt right in the situation. All right. And
0: and I'd also love to ask you uh, what do you uh, what are you reading now? What what kind of comics are you reading now? What do you, what do you, is, there, is there something you have uh, that's really caught your
2: attention?
1: Um, the many deaths of Lila Star. Uh, hmm. I I think that's the name of the book. My God, uh, I read the first the first issue and now I'm waiting for like the trade. I think. Uh, but I was really blown away by the first issue of, of, of Laila Star. It's, it's, uh, it's Ram V, uh, telling the story of death. Oh.
2: Uh,
1: Hindu Hindu death, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. who gets fired from her job. Ah. Oh. Yeah, I'm not uh, familiar and, with this. Oh. <laughs> and It is magnificent. Like the art is, the art is just sublime, but the way he tells the story is very poetic. It is just death literally just gets fired from her job, gets incarnated into the body of a woman who just died. Mm-hmm. And she now has to sort of figure out what to do with her life. And... Who's the publisher? I, I, um, I think it's Boom Studios.
2: Hmm, okay.
1: It's Boom Studios, okay. Oh, yes, because he's
0: done a book, he, he did another book for that.
1: So yes. yes. Alright, yeah. so is good. that one, uh, Chris Lee has, uh, Jonah and the Impossible Monsters. Mm-hmm. Uh Which is, I, I really like, one of the things that I'm a big um, defender of is we tend to forget that comics are, I think comics should be a medium that gears more towards kids than it does. Uh Not that, that we shouldn't have comics for adults, that's not what I'm saying, <laughs> but, but you know, I feel kids are being a bit left out uh And I like having a book like Jonah that is very much uh geared towards everyone mm-hmm. it's 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 very colorful and very cute and and warm and comfortable and i really like it
0: well i i i'll i will say um a Comics aimed at kids right now, uh, in the book format, book format, really are almost driving American comics right now. Mm, it, uh, it's explos- exploding. Um, I've never seen anything like it before. In a country that presumes, even today, that most comics are for kids anyway, uh, yeah. we're seeing a real uh, explosion of talent and interest and variety. Uh, in diverse genres of comics for, for kids, uh, for kids of all ages.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so look, uh, Junie, uh, look, on that note, I'm gonna, I wanna wind this down. Look, it's really a pleasure, uh, to get a chance to talk to you. I love the book. I will say, it, it, you, you it, there's a complexity to your narrative also that actually is refreshing because, I mean, occasionally I get a little lost on, on the threads, but uh, uh, um, uh, it just sends me back to the book to reread mm. it again. And that's all, you know, you can't go wrong with that. It just makes me want to go back and, 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 and write myself and figure out where I am in the storyline or, or what yeah. character I've, uh, I've forgotten. But you've really written an amazing story. I haven't even had a chance to ask you, ask you about technology. That's another thing in the book. Your <laughs> vision of, uh, an African uh, uh, created technology, uh, for the future.
1: Um, uh, very quickly. I please. Just I just took the, the way things look in Senegal right now uh-huh. and just reproduced it. Literally just that. Uh, interesting. It, it, I like the rundown look of things that are a bit rusty.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: the modern objects that are sort of run down by the sun and everything. Mm-hmm. That's literally just what I did.
0: Well, I tell you, uh you uh, you given us a new vision of Wakanda, believe me. Uh <laughs> uh, uh of of a of a, 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 I know this term uh, is is I, I don't mean to put it on you, but uh, you know, afrofuturism or african futurism I mean that uh for mainstream culture to embrace uh you know, a black vision of the future is no small mm. thing yeah and 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 you've accomplished that and really, and it's really, really exciting to read nice. so uh I'm gonna tell everybody, but telling everybody about this book i'm being i mean <laughs> harassing people about your book and uh so so I won't even ask you what you what you're working on now because we still have to digest this, but i yeah. I, I expect to be talking with you again in the future about uh uh, uh other things that you've been, you're working on,
2: oh yeah, yeah, yeah yeah.
0: So look, uh, I want to let everybody know it's called Jalea. It's by, uh, Julia, a West African fantasy epic by Juni Ba. It's going to be published in July by TKO Studios. Uh, Juni Ba, thank you so much for being on More To Come.
1: Thank you. That was great.